All right, let us dig into the words today and what God has for us. We are in our position series um, as far as our building your house and seeing God build us. We went from um, God's presence and then in the position that we have in him once we establish the fact that we can do nothing outside of his presence then the position that we hold with him is most important where we stand with him. And so this week we're looking at going from found and following to serving and what it looks like to serve him. Last week we looked a little deeper into that moving from found to following and we looked at understanding that our lives are all shaped by people and events and circumstances. There's different things that will shape how we got to where we are today. There's different moments um, that we can look back and say, that was a turning point, good or bad, that has led me to the things that, I've, uh, that, I, that I'm dealing with now. We can look back at people that have made a significant impact on our lives that have led us to where we are now. And we looked at how we can't let those things be the totality of what shapes us. They can't be, like, that can't be it alone. We need Christ to shape us in the midst of all those things. Those things are going to happen. People are going to come into your lives. Events are going to happen. Circumstances, good and bad, are going to happen. And instead of letting them shape us alone, we allow Christ to shape us as they affect us and say, God, how do I interpret this? How do I allow you to work in my life in the midst of these circumstances, these events, and with these people? And we do so, if we, we talked about at the end of the message last week, that we, we seek to be humble before God. And we lower ourselves before God and say, you're God, I'm not. I don't know how to do all this. So in humility, I seek you, God. And I seek your internal change in my life. What, you know, theologically we'd call our sanctification. How day by day, moment by moment, we grow in looking more and more like Jesus wants us to. And then... We live expectantly, right? Because we live in the kingdom of God. We don't live in just uh, the kingdom of this world. We live in God's kingdom. And because we're kingdom citizens, because God sits on the throne of the, the, the kingdom we're in, we can expect our God, our king, to move. And so we live with expectancy. Um, and we live willing to obey when he calls us to walk in step and in the power of the spirit. And so now, this week, I want to I talk to us, uh, and myself included, about how do we move from following or being found by Christ to following Christ and walking with and serving in the power of the Spirit. What does that look like when we go out? What do we rely on? How do we, how do we make sure this happens? Because it's one thing to talk about going out and, and stepping into the kingdom of God and acting like kingdom citizens and saying, I am going to go do this. I'm going to go and live this kingdom life. And then you've got to take that first step out into the brave world and say, but what does that look like? And what am I taking with me in order to make this work? Because an important thing for us to observe and look at when we, when we do this is, is this statement here. Whatever you depend on deepens. Whatever you depend on deepens. Now, I can, I can point it out in a couple of illustrations here for you. The first one, I know we've got some people here that go fishing, right? 
And if you've ever gone fishing and you threw out your line and you got your hook caught on something and you started to tug and pull on it and you're like, oh, do I got something? And usually when you're fishing and you feel like maybe there's something on the line, you give it a good little reef on it, right, to get the hook set in real nice so that you can reel in your fish. But sometimes it's not a fish that you get your hook set on, is it? It's a log, it's something heavy on the bottom, and you're pulling and pulling, and it's not moving anywhere. It's not going anywhere. But what's happening is your hook or your lure is getting further and further entrenched into whatever it is that you found at the bottom of the lake or the river, and you're about to lose that hook or that lure, aren't you? You're going to have to cut your, cut your, string or your, your line because you're not getting it back. And sometimes that's what we do in life, is that we hook on to something that we think, this is what's going to take me there, get me there. This is my big catch or whatever, and it turns out not to be what we think it is. But our dependency and our hooks into it deepen to a place where we're stuck into it. So when it comes to following Jesus and moving in step with him, we want to make sure that what we put our dependency on and in that it becomes a foundation for us. Because when we usually do that, we lean harder and harder on those dependencies, don't we? The things that we think are a sure thing, we lean hard on them, right? If I thought this podium was really secure, I could lean hard on it while I'm talking to you. I don't think that. I think it's, you know, not very sturdy right here, so I'm not going to put a lot of weight and pressure on it. But if I did, I could, like, you know, old school preacher, you know, over top of the, the podium talking to you. But what we put our trust and our faith in, we usually lean pretty heavy on those things. So what does Jesus have to say about that? Let's dive into that now. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you that uh, to live in your kingdom is absolutely amazing. God, even in that, the, the songs that we expressed uh, our praise and worship to you this morning, just even as it moved us because of who you are, that you are worthy of it all, now that we live in this space of just uh, marveling at who you are, and yet, as we walk out what it looks like to live in your presence, to live as a follower of Jesus, to live in your kingdom, God, sometimes we can get confused on what it looks like to depend on things and to what sustains us and carries us as we walk out this life. And so this morning, as we dig into your word and look at that, God, pray that you would just open our hearts to see where our dependencies lie so that we can make sure it's on something solid and grounded in you. Amen. All right, so we can start by looking at uh, Jesus uh, and as he's sending out his 12 disciples. All right, well, let's start, let's start looking there at how God wants to uh, anchor us and have us on something that we can depend on. And so Jesus, like I said, is sending out his 12 disciples. Let's read it in Matthew 15. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. 
You have received without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. All right, so let's dive into the scripture. Now, later on, Jesus will send his disciples and all followers to uh, the Gentiles, those who are not uh, from the nation of Israel or Israeli. He will send them there, and he will teach them to care for Samaritans. But for now, in this moment, what we're looking at is Jesus describes the entire house of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, as lost. And again, we've been talking about going from lost to found and from found to following, and he's asking his disciples to encourage those who are supposed to be God's chosen people to go from being lost to found to following. And so that's, that's what's going on in there. And while there's lots we can say about this text, lots that we can talk about, I want us to focus on something that we see here, and that is what Jesus does send them with and what he does not send them with what he sends them without. The first thing is, Jesus sends them together with delegated authority and power to do what? To A, preach the gospel, all right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Two, to heal this A, and then two. I don't know why I switched there. Let's go with B. A, preach preach the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. B, heal the sick. C, raise the dead. D, cleanse lepers. And E, cast out demons. That's what he empowered them to. He gave them delegated authority and power to go and do those things in any town uh, and city in Israel that they found themselves in that would receive them. All right? And so the first thing we can learn here is this, that when God sends us out, he sends us together. We don't do this in our own strength, but we do this by his power. So when we step out and go into the world around us, and by the world, it just means what we're defining the world as versus uh, anything else is there's those who are following Jesus, and then outside of followers of Jesus, we have the rest of the world. And so when we step into the world, we do this together. None of us is trying to do this alone in our own strength but we do this united together. When Jesus first sent out uh, his disciples and then sent out 72 and then sent out everybody later, he was always trying to encourage them to go out in twos or in pairs and groups to go out and do their work, not alone. And so we do this together. And anytime we decide to go and do it alone or without the direction, uh, which then means the authority and power of, of Jesus, we fail to be following. I hear that. Anytime we step outside of going together and with Jesus' direction and power, anytime we do that, meaning alone and not with Jesus' direction, we're not following him anymore. We've stepped out of following him and we're doing our own thing. 
And so we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're staying in step with Jesus, which means don't do it alone. When you do it alone, you're, you're bound to make mistakes. You're bound to not have any correction. You're bound to um, be isolated uh, and, not, not, and become vulnerable. And so we do it together, and we do it with his direction, which means authority and power. So then Jesus sends them with a list of things that they are not to collect. So he sends them out, and all he sends them out with is some, a buddy and his directions, his authority, and his power. That's, that's what they've got. You know, that's a, that's a light bag to pack, isn't it? That's, that's not a carry-on. That's just, you know, you got your passport, and, you know, that's it. You're going. And so he sends about that, and then he sends them with a whole list of things they're not to collect. Starting in verse 8, you see it says there, you received without paying, so give without pay. You received without having to pay for it, so you better be giving it without expecting to be paid. Now, for the disciples and, and those within the Jewish context, that would probably remind them of Isaiah 55, 1, that says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. How does that happen? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without a price. That's what they would be reminded of when he says, you received without, being, without paying, give without pay. And later, we can see that Peter has learned this lesson. And what does he say when somebody approaches him looking for something? In Acts 3.6, we hear Peter say this. He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter didn't have the silver, the gold, the copper coins, the cloaks and things to give in that moment, but what he did have was delegated authority and power by God to go and heal the sick and see the lame walk and bring salvation through Jesus Christ. So what does God, what does Jesus want us to know and want us to realize through this? Is that whatever you depend on deepens. Because what we depend on, we develop that trust in. Jesus sends them with the treasure of what? Of heaven. But not so much the treasure of earth. And following Jesus, then... In making them fishers of men, of people, humanity, Jesus is shaping them from found to serving by deepening their dependence on him and not the things of this world. Now, this isn't to say Jesus doesn't think the things of this world have value, um, the, the value of gold uh, and silver and copper and things like that. They do have value, but what Jesus does realize is that they can easily grip our hearts as greater than the things of heaven. And we want to hold on to those things and seek after those things and search after those things. Or maybe, maybe that's not where you're at right now, and you're like, man, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really in it for the money. I'm not really in it for, you know, my RRSPs or my, you know, my... my pension fund package or anything like that. I, I, I truly do want to do things for God. 
Maybe sometimes that we get caught up in that we view them, those things, the earthly treasures, as the first choice of those, the tools that we do need in order to see his kingdom advance. We may not be like trying to pack our own pockets, but we go like, man, if God's going to move, if he's going to move, we're going to need, the church needs to have, you know, this and that and this and that in order to make a real difference here in Cornwall. You may be there like, I would give more. I'd give more if I had just a little bit extra. I would help. I would help out, you know, pastor. But if, if I had the ability, if that skill set or that spiritual gift, I'd be right there with you. But, you know, I, you know, I can't. So, you know. Now, again, I'm not talking about real circumstances of need where there may be some of us in the room that, that we're like, I don't, I have, I'm worried about my bills tomorrow, not, you know, being able to give out access. And I'm not talking about that. I, please hear me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, the excess, the extra, the margin that we spend, the frivolous that we enjoy in our lives that we don't really think about when we just do. And where we don't feel like we need to give or serve. Matthew 6.24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for he either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And there we can think of the rich young ruler that had come to, to to Jesus asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, to see that kingdom life that he felt like that Jesus was bringing. It was tangible. He could recognize it. He could almost grasp it. And he was asking him, what does it take for me to get that? Well, what do I need to do? Sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And he went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. It's so hard to serve in both contexts, so much so that he says you cannot serve God and money. But just before you start thinking this is a service all about money and making sure God has it all or something like that, it's not just money that he asks them to go without In verses 12 to 14, he says this, As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, then let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And that was Matthew 10, 12, and 13. See, Jesus also knows that flattery and criticism and things like that can shape hearts into unhelpful, unhelpful ways. Now, flattery can make us believe that we are something that we are not. Proverbs 29.5 says it this way, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Now, when we talk about flattery here, this isn't to be confused with uh, encouragement or exhortation or building up or helping somebody um, realize who God has actually made them to be. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, flattery would have been for the 12, the followers of Jesus, the disciples that he sent out, would be for them to believe that how God was moving through them when they went and proclaimed the kingdom and and healed lepers and saw the lame walk and did all those things, that how God was moving through them, the source of it was them. 
that somehow them stepping into those moments and being there and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk, that their, their moment there, their being there was absolutely necessary, that God couldn't do it in and of himself, that they had some importance in it. And flattery is going to ruin how we try to follow Jesus like that. We do not need to try to get any of the glory. Jesus delegated his power and authority to them to go through them. But nowhere was his power and authority because of them. Flattery is a deception to deepen our dependence on our our trust in a misplaced source, ourselves. God needs me. God needs me. We may not say it in those specific words, but we start having this idea that, like, if I don't, then, you know, it won't happen. But here's the thing. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need any of us. But he does want us. He does want to partner with us. He does want us to walk with him, in step with him, in humility, obeying him. He does want that, but he doesn't need that. Because if God needed anything, then he couldn't actually be God. He can bring salvation any way he wants to, but he's chosen chosen to ask us to partner with him, if we will, humble ourselves and follow him. And the same can be true of hurtful criticism, right, which is opposed to being rooted in truth and constructive criticism, but hurtful criticism. We see in Matthew 12, 14, it says this, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And Paul says it in an amazing way in Galatians 5, in 13 to 15, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What is he talking about in that passage? If we were to read the fuller context, he's talking about the demand that some people were putting on others within Christianity to live a certain way, that they had to be just like this and live this certain way. And as we're called to freedom, we're not supposed to use that against other people. We're not supposed to use that to, to make it harder. We're supposed to love one another and serve one another. Now, you may be saying, if I'm supposed to love, uh, I'm supposed to, like, love my neighbor as I love myself. When I first read that, it made me pause and think, well, oftentimes we have a lot of trouble loving ourselves and seeing the good in ourselves and seeing who God has actually made us to be and the, the creation that he has said. And when he made us, he said that it was very good. We have trouble seeing that, but I want to 
maybe take a step back from what that means when we say love your neighbor as yourself. Because we may have sometimes, we have some issues with uh, seeing ourselves the way God sees us and seeing uh, ourselves uh, as wonderfully and beautifully made. But if we're honest with ourselves, we do, we do usually seek out our own good as much as possible. And that is a form of loving yourself, is to always find the best for yourself, the good for you, right? That's, if you love someone, you're always going to be looking to give them the best you possibly can. And when you love yourself, you're doing the same thing. So when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're looking out for their best interest as best you can. Maybe that'll help somebody here today that's struggling with what it looks like to love their neighbor when they, they just can't get that emotion up and to be like, oh, I just want to hug my neighbor. And you're just like, no, I don't know if I'll ever get to that point. And that's nothing to do with COVID. You know, or you're just like, I just don't know if I'm going to get there. Well, let me just release you from those expectations of having to hug everybody you see. And that, that's what this verse is saying. It's not. It's seek their good like you seek your own good. Seek their benefit like you seek your own benefit. You can leave the hugging for those people who have no boundaries, right? And there's like love to do all that. You don't have to live in that world. All right, let's get back on track here. All right, so this is identical then when he's talking about that love to what Jesus tells his disciples. If someone doesn't receive the gospel or only wants to tear you down, just leave. Just, just walk away. You don't have to force it. You don't have to try and impose it. You offer it. You bring it. And if they don't want it, they don't accept it, they want to criticize it, they want to reject it, then you just you walk away. So let's take a look at what we've said today. First one is this. Whatever you depend on deepens. Whatever you depend on deepens. Because what you depend on, you develop a trust in. You develop a trust in it. And not, only, not all that we place our trust in is trustworthy. I know that, that, can, that can hit us sometimes when we think about it, that not all things that we put our trust in is trustworthy. And I know when we look at our lives and our own, ourselves in particular, we, we start to need to evaluate what that looks like to put our trust in things and depend on things and lean on things that we think are going to be there for us until they're not. We think they're solid and they're, they're an immovable rock until they're not. That's the reason why Jesus sends them out with his authority, with each other, and not with all the other things. Jesus first sends out the disciples with a specific mission, which was in that moment to the nation of Israel, with a specific power and authority to preach and heal, to raise and set free, but without specific earthly comforts the gold and the silver and the copper and the flattery. Why? Because growing from following to serving, we must take on the posture of a servant of stewarding all the things that God gives us. And Mark 10.45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to 
be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We steward what God's given us. And if you've stopped stewarding what God has given us, could it be that the posture that you have has shifted from stewardship to ownership? From stewardship to ownership. And you think, sometimes in leadership scenarios, we always think of ownership as the better one, right? You know, well, you know, you're volunteering or you're part of it. It's not as great. But when you own it, that's when you really, you know, like you're really in when you own it. But I want to challenge some of that thinking this morning as far as how we handle things. Now, when thinking of a steward, this may not connect with you at all, but it did for me. partly because my kids and I had watched some of the movies recently. But in the Lord of the Rings books, this came to mind when I was talking about Stuart. And don't get caught up in the names of, of what I'm going to say here because I can barely remember them myself. But there's a, there's a gentleman named Denethor. And he is the steward of Gondor, one of the regions of, uh, this, of the, of the storyline. And for for over 2,000 years, he and his family lineage has ruled Gondor in place of the kings that used to rule over it and have vanished. And he was the last steward because a king from the line of those kings had returned to Gondor. And yet when the king returned, the steward refused to step aside. In 2,000 years, stewards had come to believe, as one of the other characters in the movie, Boromir, says, Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. And then the, the wizard in the story, Gandalf, reminds them that he is only a steward, to which he replies, the rule of Gondor is mine, and it is no other's. Now, I know that's just a storyline from a movie and from a book series. But to me, when I, when I was going through it, it almost had a, a prophetic sense to me. Here we are 2,000 years after our king has left and va- vanished to, to heaven. And here we are stewards of that kingdom. And how many times... Do we step into being the church and we're like, we got this. We can do this. We're here. He's not. We got this. We're in charge. It's okay. But then God comes poking on our hearts and says, the king's here still. The king's here. And it's hard sometimes for us to say, you know, we don't need a king. We got this. But God wants to be on the throne. He is here to lead his church. And uh, if you were in our our life boost this morning, Pastor Ingrid talked about how the church isn't on the periphery, isn't on the outskirts, isn't on the sidelines in what God is doing. It's right at the epicenter of what God is doing in our culture and in the world. That's where its place should be. And as we do that, we need to make sure at the epicenter of what God is doing, he is sitting on the throne. So make sure that doesn't happen in our hearts, where we become accustomed to our stewardship and that ownership 
takes place of our stewardship. Because it's hard when we hear it, but guess what happens? We become the usurper. We become the rebel, refusing to bow down to the one to whom it truly belongs. Think of it. If you're holding on to something that God has given you, and you've got your hands closed tightly around it, that fist of what he's already entrusted you with, All you do when you take ownership of it like that, rather than stewardship, is you set yourself up for failure. Because how can you have an open hand to receive what God wants to continue to give you? How can you have an open hand for what he has when you're clenching on so tightly in ownership to what he's entrusted? So what do we do? We change what we depend on. We live open-handedly in our dependence on Christ, and we let that deepen. Whether through success, the gold, the silver, the copper, the earthly stuff, or wounding, the flattery or criticism, it can become about us sometimes, rather than what, what God can be and do through us. This morning, three questions that I'll, I'll leave us with to... to um, ponder this week is this, what does the Holy Spirit want to speak to us about our dependence on? What does Holy Spirit need to poke and prod and say, Jeff, what are you depending on when it comes to following me? Is it solely me? Is it solely my mission, my my spirit in you? Is that what you're depending on? Or are you depending on man-made structures around you for what you need to do? Do we need to shift our posture from owner to steward? And again, it messes me up when I think of that because I think of ownership as like, ownership is the better one. Ownership is the one where, you know, like you really feel it because if it fails, it's you. But again, that's such wrong thinking because it can't fail because it's God. And when we turn it into ours and we own it, then it can fail because it's us. And we create that dependence on us. So we didn't, do we need to shift our posture from ownership to stewardship again and say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. Just send me out with somebody with your delegated authority and power, and I'll trust you to provide everything I need as I go. Do we need to let Jesus bring healing to our flattered or criticized hearts, where others have built us up to be more than we really are or torn us down into less than what we really are? Do we need to let Jesus bring healing to that so that we can truly walk and follow him, depend on him? Those three questions, I think, can help us as we go from found to following, to following in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we just thank you today that truly the church is yours, that Life Center is yours. Life Center Cornwall is absolutely yours. God, that, that what it is from its, its origins and its birth as at thy word, God, may those words ring true in our hearts today as much as they did when you put it on Pastor Shirley's heart. To at thy word we obey 
God, may our hearts truly hold that stewarding uh, attitude towards you that we don't try to carry this in our own strength. We don't try to make decisions like we own the place or, or we know what we're doing, but rather we do it in obedience to you at your direction. God, may you, you adjust our hearts in how we look at what we're stewarding and how we need to manage resources. God, may our, our lives be focused on just going with what you give us going with what you give us and trusting you in that, God. And God, we repent if we've made too much of ourselves, if we've allowed flattery to build us, our, up, build us up more than we really are. We repent of that, God. And God, we pray that you would heal our hearts in the places, in the moments where people have torn us down. It made us seem like we are not worthy to be called disciples and followers of you, not worthy to step into the mission that you've called us to be on. And all we want to do is follow you to be in step with your spirit, to find our position right next to you, affirmed by you, empowered by you, called by you, led by you, loved by you. We just thank you for this position that we have in you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>